0: I'm Shelly Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. I love Women in the Word. I love being here with each of you to study the Word of God. So thank you for being here. You are going to need your Bible this morning. You're going to need a verse sheet. And you are going to need a copy of that chart that was on your table this morning. So you may want to dig that out for just a few minutes. My um, wonderful, funny great quirky friend Gail went to be with Jesus um, unexpectedly in 2005. I still miss her. I know there are people here that uh, miss her as well. My whole family still tells Gail stories. We have a wealth of Gail stories. We still tell them. And one of the stories um, that we laugh about because she was such a um, funny, fun gal is how Gail never wanted to know how a movie ended. She never wanted to know how a movie ended. Um, In fact, I think she was the person that the spoiler alert was invented for because she would not read movie reviews. And if you went to the movie with Gail, she would uh, look at me and say, poke me when the previews are done. And then, I promise this is true, she would, um, uh, the second the previews start, she'd close her eyes and put her fingers in her ear and go, la, 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 until I poked her at the end of the previews. Uh, Now, we could never decide if this was hilarious or just wildly embarrassing. But... um, (laughs) When my kids got older, they would not sit anywhere in the theater with Gail and I. So I think that answers the question. Today we're going to do the opposite of my great friend Gail. Because we're going to carefully study the end of God's program for Israel. So this is a spoiler alert as we head back to Matthew together and look at the end of the age. So turn to uh, Matthew 24 with me and we are going to read beginning in verse one. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple but he answered them you see all these do you not? Truly I say to you there will not be here one stone left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, when we were together a week ago, we saw, Matt, we saw Jesus leave the temple for the last time in chapter 23. And he had this scathing judgment of the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, "Woe seven times in the last chapter but now as Jesus and his disciples are walking up the Mount of Olives together his disciples suddenly turn and they look back at this magnificent structure of the temple and it was impressive it was beautiful and it was big and it was a symbol of God's favor on the nation of Israel and no one knows exactly why the disciples took that moment to point out uh, and admire the beauty of the temple But they do not get the response from Jesus they expect here because instead of agreeing with them, he prophesies the complete and utter destruction of the temple here. And this was a structure that was so solidly built that it should have lasted just like the pyramids for centuries. Um, So once they stop on the Mount of Olives, the um, disciples have questions for Jesus. They want to know, when is this going to happen? You've just told us about the destruction of the temple. So when is it going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what their questions do for us here today is they give us some insight into what the Jews actually believed about the end times. Because the Jews, uh, the nation of Israel recognized, two ages when it came to thinking about end time. The first age was the period of time in their history where they waited for the Messiah to come and they've been waiting for centuries haven't they? Um, The second age was going to begin when the Messiah became king of Israel when he ruled on David's throne and fulfilled all of Israel's promised blessings throughout the Old Testament. Now, the disciples ask these questions right here about the destruction of the temple and Jesus becoming king because they know the words of the prophet Zechariah. Look at Zechariah 14 on your verse sheet. "'Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle.'" And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out in exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half shall move southward. Now it's because of this prophecy that the disciples believe that the destruction of the temple and Jesus coming to be king and fulfill all the prophecy that has ever been for Israel is one event. They believe that this happens at one time. And you can see that from Zechariah here, Jerusalem is attacked, the temple is destroyed, and then what happened? The king walks in and saves Jerusalem and establishes his kingdom. But Jesus' prediction of the destruction here of the temple in Matthew is not the final destruction of the temple that Zechariah predicts in his prophecy. What Jesus predicts here in Matthew 24, um, these first few verses, uh, actually occurs in 70 AD when God executes judgment. On the generation that has rejected and crucified Jesus. In 70 AD, God allows the Roman army to come in and decimate Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Zechariah's prophecy that's in the disciples' mind that they're thinking of here will be fulfilled much later. This prophecy will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period when Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and the Savior comes back for the second time. Now, Jesus knows they're confused. He knows what they're thinking. He knows that as he separates these two events for them from the for the first time, that the temple will be destroyed, yet the king is not ready to return. Um, they are pondering that so beginning in verse 4 here he begins to give them new insight into the end of God's program for Israel but before we talk about what Jesus has to say here I want us to have a roadmap map of where we really are in all of this so take out that end times uh, chronology chart it should come up on the screen there uh, right uh, there What Jesus is going to describe here to the disciples in chapter 24 is the tribulation period on your chart. You can look at that. It's just left of center right there. It says seven years under it. It's also what the prophet daniel describes as the 70th week of god's program for israel now the prophet daniel um and you'll have to follow closely here because this is not easy to sort out in our minds the prophet daniel predicted that god's future program for israel was going to be a period of seven weeks and each week would consist of seven years If you do the math, that's 490 years. So through Daniel, God reveals that 69 of those 70 weeks would elapse between the time that Israel left Babylon. Remember, they'd been in captivity in Babylon. Um, They're given permission to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And that happens in uh, 445 B.C. So the clock starts ticking on God's. 70 weeks for Israel's program when they leave Babylon. Now, 69 of those 70 weeks end when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that donkey for the triumphal entry. That's a period of 483 years. And theologians have done the math to the day. That's when the 69 weeks ends, when we talked two weeks ago about Jesus riding in on the donkey. Um, Because Israel refused to accept Jesus as her Messiah and King, the final seven years of God's program that last week that 70th week has been delayed until the tribulation period that you see on your chart. Israel's 70th week in Daniel's prophecy corresponds to the seven-year tribulation that we have on our end times chart here and it's Everything that Jesus reveals to the disciples here in chapter 24 and 25, everything he says here is about the seven-year period that we call the tribulation and that God prophesied as Daniel's 70th week program for the uh, nation of Israel. Now, one thing we have to realize as we sit here this morning and look at this end times chart is um, Is that Jesus' words of prophecy here about the tribulation and God's plan for Israel have nothing to do with the church. So everything we're going to talk about today is about Israel and not about the church. And the reason for that is also on your chart. Because you see the church age right there happens um, after Jesus ascends uh, to the Father. Then we have the growth of the church. And the church age ends with the rapture. With the rapture. Um, So that means that all of us who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior today that are sitting here listening um, to and studying Matthew 24 and 25 together. All of us will have been taken to be with Jesus before everything in these two chapters began. Um, Paul describes the rapture and that event that happens that will take all of us to be with Jesus before this starts. In 1 Thessalonians 4, look on your verse sheet. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven... With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are in the air, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So, the period of time we're going to be talking about is after the rapture of the church. But it's before the return of Christ to establish his millennial kingdom, his throne thousand year reign on the earth and those who are unfortunate enough to be alive during this seven-year tribulation are the 70th week of Daniel are either Jews or unbelieving Gentiles so I know you have all that sorted out now so let's begin in verse 4 of chapter 24 And Jesus answered them, "'See that no one leads you astray, "'for many will come in my name, "'saying, I am the Christ, "'and they will lead many astray. "'And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, "'and see that you're not alarmed, "'for this this must take place, "'but the end is not yet.'" For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, the birth pains that Jesus talks about here in these verses are the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, for those of you who have experienced uh, the labor pains of having a baby, you know that they generally start slow and are less intense and that's what we see here in the first half of the tribulation there is going to be conflict in the world and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars there's going to be many who claim to be the messiah and try to lead believers astray from God there's going to be devastating natural disasters now all of us today know that these things exist in some form or fashion in our world as well don't they Um, But just like a woman in labor, when the tribulation actually begins, these things are going to be more frequent, more intense, more deadly, more difficult to ignore. I can still remember being in labor with my uh, first baby and thinking when those first few pains began, And I was a labor and delivery nurse and I thought, is this the real thing? Is this false labor again? What is this? And then all of a sudden those contractions changed and there was no doubt in my mind that I would be holding a baby before the end of the day. Some of you may remember that moment as well when you become convinced that this is the real thing. Jesus describes conflicts and catastrophes here that are gonna be recognizable as the signs of the first half of the tribulation. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Look at verse nine with me. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end will come. Now, when Jesus begins verse 9 by saying then, uh, he signaling that the second half of the tribulation has begun. The first half had all of these things we just talked about. The Antichrist had actually come and made a peaceful covenant with Israel and the nations of the world. But here in verse 9, he signals a change with the word then. Life during the last three and a half years of the tribulation is not just going to be difficult it is going to be deadly. It will be deadly. There's going to be worldwide persecution. There's going to be constant executions. And the ultimate false prophet, the Antichrist, will come to complete power over the entire world during this second half of the tribulation. Look at Revelation 13 on your verse sheet. This describes the second half of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes to complete control. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. You know, one of the only encouraging things I see in these verses here in Matthew is that even though the Antichrist reigns supreme and makes life um, deadly, executes many, Uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus is not lost. It is not lost despite how dark the world was. Jesus tells his disciples that the truth of who he is is going to be proclaimed throughout the whole world before the end of the age. And the witnesses that are going to share the truth of who our Lord Jesus is despite the control of the Antichrist are uniquely chosen by God. Theologian Dr. Dwight Pentecost says this about the gospel and its witnesses during the tribulation. Dr. Pentecost says... The gospel will be preached by 144,000 set apart from the tribes of Israel. They will be descendants of Abraham. They will evidently be brought to faith in Christ in the same way Saul of Tarsus was brought to faith in Christ on the road to Damascus. They will be given a revelation of the person of Christ and just like Paul will be set apart to be God's messengers to the Gentiles. Pretty incredible, isn't it, that it's going to be the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that continue to spread the gospel during the second half of the, revelation, uh, of the tribulation. If we had time to turn to chapter 7 of the Revelation, and you may want to jot this down and look it up later, Chapter 7 of the Revelation actually mentions these 144,000 witnesses. There will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they will be God's witnesses throughout the tribulation. And chapter 7 also mentions the tribulation martyrs who come to faith through the testimony of these 144,000 believing Jews. Despite the persecution, the gospel will not be stopped. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And for and alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, we all know from studying the history of Israel that Israel has suffered much throughout history but it's going to be nothing compared to what Jesus reveals here in the second half of the tribulation. The greatest sign of the end of the age and that the return of Israel's king is near um, is the abomination of desolation. Now This is a term that's used three times by the prophet Daniel. It describes something so terrible that it causes God's people to desert the temple in horror. Daniel actually uses this once in the book of Daniel to describe an event that happened in the temple in 168 BC when a Seleucid general by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes uh, went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on God's own altar to the god Zeus. But Daniel also describes the abomination of desolation as the antichrist who ends sacrifices in the temple. Look at Daniel 9:27 on your verse sheet. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist who makes a covenant for the seven years of the tribulation. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. You know, Jesus' words here about the abomination of desolation and Daniel's prophecy point to the second half of the tribulation when the Antichrist is going to not only take over the world but take over the temple. He will enter the temple and instead of sacrificing a pig on God's own altar, he will set himself up on God's own altar to be worshipped as God himself. Look at second Thessalonians 2 on your verse sheet and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god proclaiming himself to be god the Antichrist and his rule during the tribulation is not only going to be the end of temple worship. It will be the Antichrist's attempt to put, the, to put worship of God himself to an end. And it would be the end of all human life on earth if he was allowed to continue except for one thing. God's mercy cuts it short by sending Jesus into the world for a second time. Look at verse 29 in Matthew chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. This is actually describing the next event in God's prophetic program for Israel. And that is the second coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And it will be the beginning of a new age for Israel in the millennial kingdom. The very end of the tribulation is going to be dramatic. Um, There are going to be dramatic supernatural events in the heavens. The stars and the sun and the moon will exist no more. The sky will be dark. The heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. Now, no one is really sure what the sign of the Son of Man actually is. There's a lot of speculation about it. But some believe that since the Shekinah glory left the temple when Israel was put aside by God, set aside by God, that it is the Shekinah glory that will return and be seen throughout the whole earth at the second coming of Jesus Whatever it is, it's going to be visible for the whole world to see as he returns with power and glory and loud trumpets. This is going to be a majestic event, an incredible event that lasts for hours in order for the entire world to be able to see this um, incredible sign of the Son of Man and Jesus himself. And as Jesus returns, He'll do um, a gracious and remarkable thing. He will send out his angels to the four ends of the earth to gather anyone who has become a believer during the tribulation. All of these believers and particularly the nation of Israel, those 144,000 believers will have been scattered throughout the entire world because of persecution. And Jesus is going to gather them along with the Old Testament saints who are going to be resurrected from the dead at that point um, as Jesus returns. And the tribulation martyrs, those people who have um, entered the tribulation as unbelievers, who've become believers and then been martyred for their faith, they will be resurrected uh, when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation as well. And Israel is going to be restored to its promised land once again. Look at Deuteronomy 30 on your verse sheet. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. At the second coming of Jesus, what the disciples have been hoping for all along, what they've been expecting, which is for Jesus to step onto David's throne and to defeat all of Israel's enemies and to bring everyone back to Israel in a time that is even greater than what their forefathers knew. What they've been expecting is going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus will be king. Israel will be restored once for all in even greater glory in Jesus' kingdom. Okay, let's read some more together. Look at verse 32 in chapter 24. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So right here in verse 32, Jesus moves from describing the signs of the tribulation. He moves to teaching lessons for those who are going to wait for him during the tribulation. And he does that through a series of seven parables uh, that he teaches Uh, for those who will wait for him he teaches that during the tribulation people should be alert they should be watchful they should be wise they should be prepared and they should be faithful and he starts with this very simple lesson here of the fig tree you know when the fig tree sprouts its leaves anyone that looks at it will know summer is near And when the signs he's been sharing with them about the beginning and the ending of the tribulation uh, begin, everyone in the tribulation should have the thought, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Now, Jesus moves on here to uh, use the example of Noah, which I love this example because people living in Noah's day watched Noah build an ark for decades, they watched him for years build that ark and then they watched him gather all those animals and then they watched him take his family, everyone um, that was related to him, go onto that boat and close the door. Um, But they never paid attention to those signs, didn't they? They never recognized there's something significant going on here, this might be judgment that is coming our way. In the tribulation, there are also going to be those people who ignore these very visible and very real signs of coming judgment as well. They will also not repent in anticipation of judgment at the second coming of Christ, and they too are going to be lost forever. He gives us the example here of the one that will be swept away and the other remaining and walk with Jesus into his millennial kingdom. Look at verse 39 here. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. His message is clear. We must heed the signs, the simple signs, and repent. For those people that are part of the tribulation, that's his message. Um, And this passage, I need to say, is sometimes taken out of context. It's sometimes taken to be the rapture, where one is taken to be with Jesus and the other left. The context that Jesus speaks here is the one that is taken away, is taken away in judgment. And the one who is left walks into the millennial kingdom with Jesus himself to live forever. Now the next message Jesus has for those who experience the tribulation um, is the parable of the faithful and the wise servant. Now The faithful wise servant is left in charge of the master's household while the master is away. Now, this servant does not have any idea when the master is going to return. But in spite of that, he faithfully and carefully discharges all of his duties. He takes care of everything that has been left in his charge because he expects and he believes that his master will return and he never doubts that so every single day he works diligently doing the things the master has left him in charge of because today might be the day the master returns. Now Jesus contrasts this faithful servant with the servant who believes the servant that believes his master will return with the unfaithful servant who thinks he can live however he wants to Because he really doubts that the master will return and hold him accountable. He thinks he's going to get away unpunished with not fulfilling the responsibilities that the master has given him. Look at verse 48 in chapter 24. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the second coming of Christ, those who have called themselves servants are going to be measured They're going to be tested. True servants of Jesus will be wise and faithful throughout the tribulation, never doubting his return. But those without faith, unbelievers who mistreat others, who live a worldly life, never believing that Jesus will come and hold them accountable, will be judged and suffer the disastrous fate of never entering the kingdom with the king. Okay, let's uh, look at verse 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now this is an interesting parable that Jesus tells here because the kingdom of heaven is actually in view here. You can tell that they're literally waiting. All ten of them are literally waiting for the bridegroom to return. They expect him to return uh, but he's delayed, and all ten of them fall asleep. Now, five have been prepared for this delay by bringing extra flasks of oil for their lamps. But five have been foolish, um, and even though they've come out to meet the bridegroom, they have not given a thought to extra preparation that they might Uh, make now Jesus makes the point here that all ten anticipated um, the return of the bridegroom it wasn't going to be a surprise to him they all waited to meet him but only five prepared for the unexpected. You know, the nation of Israel never expected Jesus to be the Messiah, did they? The carpenter from Nazareth that they ridiculed. They never expected the delay between the first coming of the Messiah and him coming again to establish his kingdom. and most were spiritually unprepared when the Messiah did come the first time. They denied and they crucified him. Um, Now, theologians think that it's possible that the oil that's talked about in the lamp here may represent the Holy Spirit and his work in salvation. The faithful and the wise who have prepared for the unexpected delay have done so by turning from their unbelief to belief in the Messiah and they're going to be ushered into the millennial kingdom and the feast that followed. But you know a great point that is made here, if this is about salvation, if the oil and those lamps do have to, does have to do with the Holy Spirit, salvation and spiritual preparation can't be borrowed, can it? It can't be loaned. It's something that we have to do as an individual. Only we ourselves can prepare um, for the coming of the king and turn from unbelief to belief. The five unwise and foolish virgins did not understand that they would not be able to borrow the necessary spiritual preparation um, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. They did not turn from their unbelief and the door to the kingdom was shut to them forever. Look at verse 8. Right here in chapter 25. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. There will be a day when it will be too late to um, take spiritual preparation seriously. Now he moves on here to the parable of the talents and once again Jesus talks about faithfulness and so as we read over and over again how he talks about alertness and watchfulness and being prepared and faithfulness we can know how important these traits are going to be for those that are going through the tribulation period. The, the parable he gives here of the three servants um, there are that all three were given money by the master in keeping with their abilities and their giftedness. And when the master returns, two of the servants were faithful in caring for the master's money, and they were rewarded by their master. But the third servant did nothing with the money because, once again, he doubts the master is going to return it all. And if he puts the money in the bank under the master's name to earn interest, if the master returns, he's not going to be able to access that money. He couldn't claim it for itself. What he didn't count on is that truly that scheme is going to cost him in the end. His lack of faith in the master's return is not going to benefit him. Jesus gives his disciples here a picture of what happens to those who lack faith that he's really going to to return those that lack faith live their lives selfishly hedging their bets that they might get away with keeping for themselves what only belongs to the master during the tribulation the faithful are going to take whatever God has entrusted to them and use it to advance his kingdom they're going to spread the gospel they will protect the persecuted they are going to stand against worshiping a false god Jesus emphasizes the truth that when he comes again, his faithful servants are going to not just enter the kingdom, they are going to enter the kingdom and be rewarded as a result of their faithfulness. And once again, those who lack faith, who never think he's coming back to hold them accountable, are going to be judged for their unbelief. Look at um, verse 23 here in chapter 25. Jesus says his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a little I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master but look at what he says to the unfaithful servants down in 29 for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Rewards of the fate of the faithful in the millennial kingdom and punishment, eternal punishment, is the fate of the unfaithful. Okay, let's finish our chapter together here. Look at verse 31. I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry feed you or and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you naked or clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, throughout these parables, we've seen Jesus pronouncing judgment on those in Israel who never recognized Jesus as the Messiah during the tribulation. We saw it with the wicked servant, the five foolish virgins, the servant who buried the one talent are all examples that Jesus gives of judgment on the nation of Israel who refused to recognize him when he returns. But here he sums up judgment on those who are alive at the end of the tribulation when he comes to establish his kingdom with the example here of separating the sheep from the goats. Now there's a ton of controversy here from theologians, even conservative theologians, about whether the sheep represent Gentiles only, whether the judgment here is on Gentiles only or whether the judgment here is on uh, everyone who's alive at the end of the tribulation Jews and Gentiles Um, I don't believe That really, uh, it matters to us because what we see today is at the end of the tribulation, Jews and Gentiles are going to be judged for their faith or their lack of faith. Um, Sheep are going to be put on his right hand because they believe him and walk into the uh, millennial kingdom and goats are going to be cast into eternal judgment forever um, those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior are going to enter the kingdom, whether they're Jew or Gentile, and everyone who does not will be separated from him for eternity. Now, the interesting thing to me about this passage is how Jesus describes righteousness here. He describes right- righteousness um, as those whose faith in Christ will be displayed by their treatment of, Of his Jewish brothers and faithful disciples during the tribulation. Remember those 144,000 witnesses from the 12 tribes that we talked about earlier? They will have put themselves in incredible peril to share the gospel throughout the tribulation. And every Jew whether they're sharing the gospel or not, is going to be persecuted by the Antichrist during the tribulation because Satan hopes to extinguish them and end the covenant that God made with Abraham once and for all. Jesus understands that those who served and protected his witnesses and his Jewish brothers could only be believers themselves only another believer would be willing to harbor someone that um, could get them in trouble their work of protecting his Jewish brothers is evidence of their faith they will be the sheep on his right hand in contrast Jesus contemns those who allowed his Jewish witnesses and his disciples to suffer and die during the tribulation who never fed them who never clothed them who never uh, gave them drink when they were thirsty he separates these unbelievers from believers and casts them into eternal punishment look at verse 45 here then he will answer them saying truly i say to you as you did not do it to the least of one of these you did not do it to me And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, Jesus' words here about the end of the age are truly incredible prophecies that describe the climax of God's plan for the nation of Israel. The 70th week of Daniel is going to be terminated by the second coming of Jesus himself. He will judge and separate the saved from the unsaved. And only the saved are going to enter his kingdom, What he's telling his disciples here is they sit on the Mount of Olives is that he will come again in triumph. His crucifixion is only a matter of hours away and he wants them to know that God's future program for Israel has not been destroyed. It will not be defeated by his crucifixion. It has only been postponed. Jesus will be king in his kingdom, and that's his message of all of that discord. Now, Even though these chapters have not been about us, they've not been about the church, they've been about Daniel's 70th week, there is wisdom for us as well because we're waiting for Jesus uh, to come back for his church as well. That's what we were talking about um, with the rapture. And this message that he gives over and over and over again of be alert, um, be watchful, be prepared, be faithful, can't be ignored for us as we wait for him in the rapture, just like Israel We have got to be ready, in capital letters, be ready. We've got to live as if his return for us could also be today. You know, it's so interesting to me, when we keep his return in our view, what a difference it will make in our lives. What a difference. Um, No matter what we're enduring in our life, when we hold that truth close, that Jesus is coming back for us, it gives us joy. It gives us anticipation and it gives us great hope of stepping into eternity with the king. What could be better than that? But more importantly, if we are going to be ready for that day that he comes for us, um, we must be prepared spiritually to meet Jesus face to face. Now most of us here today call Jesus our Lord and Savior. We've done some work to prepare spiritually for that day. But if you're listening and you've ever hesitated to do that, you just think, "I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't know. Whatever. Um, whatever your reason is, you've got to know. Today could be the day. Today could be the day. And just like the five foolish virgins, it would be too late. You wouldn't be able to borrow salvation from your husband or your children or your mother-in-law. So don't wait. Don't wait and let the door to the kingdom be shut just like it was for those five foolish virgins. Give your heart to Jesus before he comes. Talk to your small group leader today or come down front. Talk to Deb or myself or one of the other leadership. And then finally, in order to be ready, We have to live faithfully until he returns. And living faithfully looks like we share the gospel tirelessly because we don't want someone in our small group to have the door shut in our face. We don't want our unbelieving neighbor to not walk into the kingdom with us. We have to share the gospel tirelessly. Living faithfully also means taking care of his sheep. It means uh, being part of community and looking around and seeing Who needs um, to be clothed or cared for or given a drink of water? And finally, it means that we serve our Lord and Master diligently with whatever talents he's given us. We must not live selfishly while we wait just because we have the security of knowing that he's coming back for us. We have to remember what he said here in verse 23 to the faithful servant because every one of us in this room is going to want to hear it as well. He says, when Jesus comes for us, we want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your masters. Let's pray. Father, you are great and gracious. I do pray um, that we will all be ready for your return that we will um, live faithfully, that we will keep your return in view, and it will give us great joy. And Father, I pray that um, if there's any one of us here today that has hesitated to make a decision for you to be their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. I thank you for these women. I thank you for how much they love you and love each other, and love the word of God, would you put your hand of favor and blessing and grace and mercy on everyone. I pray this in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.